Hello again and welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Hello everyone, my name is Glenn Withers, I'm one of the founders of the Australian Physio and Pilates Institute and to the APPI community and to the Pilates 101 community and the Pilates community as a in entirety. Hello and thank you for joining me. Now this month we have a brilliant podcast for you guys. It's a, it's a longer one than some of the, the others. Um, it's a fantastic interview with Emily Elgar and Pippa Carter. Emily and Pippa are two of our women's health specialists that work with us here at the Institute. Uh, Pippa is the creator, author, and uh, presenter for our Pilates and Menopause course. And Emily Elgar is one of our women's health specialists. She presents all of the anti and postnatal material for us, as well as recently developed the Pilates for Endometriosis course, um, written, authored that, presents that, um, and also has been influential in helping us to create the Women's Health Certification Program, um, as has Pippa. So these are two um, very, very uh, esteemed colleagues of mine, and they're going to be talking to us um, about the uh, issues, thoughts, concerns that were highlighted in the recent Channel 4 documentary that was um, delivered by Davina McCall. And the name of that documentary was Sex, Myths and Menopause. And it was a, a striking documentary giving personal insight and sharing stories from a number of different people in and around uh, what happens with menopause, premenopause, the age um, varieties that are out there in, in terms of when the changes and the symptoms associated with menopause and perimenopause, etc., um, may come forth. It tackles a number of really challenging topics, um, not least around sort of the, the symptoms, the common, sort of more commonly known symptoms, such as the, the hot flushes and the um, sort of memory fog, the sex drive changes that might be associated with that. But it goes deeper and it tackles things such as the anxieties that surround menopause and the uh, possibility that maybe in the, the medicalized world we aren't as educated as we should be in and around menopause and how to help women going through this process as well. So look, more than anything, it's about highlighting um, the issues and the symptoms that are around this. Now, this podcast today is very much looking at trying to allow us to understand menopause and endometriosis more. We will come back again and we'll do another episode with both Pippa and Emily where we tackle more along the lines of how does Pilates fit in with this. And the guys delve into that a little bit. Um, I've already done a Pilates and Menopause podcast with Pippa, so you can go back and look at that as a previous episode as well. Um, but today, I really wanted to delve into trying to educate ourselves as a Pilates community a little bit more about what happens in relation to menopause and exactly what is endometriosis and how we might um, be better informed to be able to help our clients if we spot 
that they may be going through some of these symptoms and changes. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to the interview. Um, as I said, it's a little over an hour long or so, and it's a fascinating insight into many of the the challenges and the misconceptions and the myths, shall we say, in and around menopause and endometriosis. Here is Pippa Kata and Emily Elgar. Okay, and welcome everyone. I've uh, been talking about this in the intro here, so I'm very excited uh, for the interview for this month's podcast to be here. It's a topic that um, I think needs exploration. Uh, It's a topic, obviously, from a a male point of view that I feel very uneducated about. Um, So I'm very, very excited to learn more myself. Um, And as I said in the intro there, I'm joined by two of our women's health team, um, absolutely specialists in their field and amazing people that we love having to talk to and we love having part of APPI as well. So I'm joined today by Pippa Carter and Emily Elgar. Guys, welcome to Pilates 101. Thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. Emily, uh, can you give us your sort of uh, uh, elevator intro, if you like? I've spoken a little bit about you in the intro to the podcast here, but uh, why don't we hear it from, from yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, thank you for, for having, well, both of us on. And I think, like you say, this is um, an exciting podcast because it does need talking about more. And um, so as you introduced me, I'm Emily. I'm a public health physio based up in Yorkshire in Sheffield at a clinic called Katie Bell Physiotherapy and Wellness. Um, I run a team of public health physios amongst lots of other health professionals um, within our clinic and lots of Pilates as well. Um, I have been in pelvic health for, I was talking about this on the weekend on the course, for over a decade now. Um, I think you kind of lose track the more years you Mm -hmm. do it. Um, So definitely over a decade. And I have probably two really big loves when it comes to pelvic health. Um, Number one is uh, pelvic pain, particularly um, endometriosis. And uh, I just find it fascinating. And I think it's a area that doesn't get talked about particularly, but I think it is growing in terms of awareness and it's really exciting just to be part of that journey of it becoming more talked about. And it's what's been amazing for us in the last year, seeing um, people's access to help in clinic really change. We're seeing more and more people with pelvic pain and endometriosis not accept their symptoms. And then the other side of my sort of pelvic health experience is all return to high-level postnatal sports and being in Sheffield. If you've ever been to Sheffield, we have lots of hills and things to run up and climb up and cycle over. So I have a large number of um, kind of very keen, if not pro or semi-pro climbers on my books. So it's just uh, a great fun working with those guys, uh, working through their postnatal rehab as well. So two very split areas of my interest. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you very much. Pippa, over to you. Give us your sort of elevator intro into yourself. I'm Pippa, and um, I know I've done a podcast before mm-hmm. on menopause, um, but thank you for having me back again. Um, so I'm a physio um, by background, um, musculoskeletal specialist initially, and then within the last six years, I specialised much more within pelvic health, and I currently work at a private hospital um, where I lead the pelvic health physiotherapy service there. And I'm a little bit different to Emily in a way in that my group, I work very closely with um, a few of the specialist gynecologists um, within the hospital. 
So my population group tends to be more of a, an older group that I get referred through. And for me, that really then sparked my interest in menopause um, because of the group of people that I was getting through and working with the, the gynecologists that I worked with. And then started to look into the world of menopause and realised how it's so much more um, than what I ever thought and really how that does not just affect my um, pelvic health um, patients, but also my musculoskeletal patients as well. Um, and then you know, from that, that my interest has grown and I've looked into so much research around it and I'm really passionate about sort of spreading the word around menopause and helping not just women, but, um, you know, anybody to be more educated around menopause and, and supporting that journey as well. And obviously a lot of Pilates, I run my own Pilates and physio practice um, outside of the hospital as well, which is a, a bit of a mixed, a lot of different types of classes that I run and again focus quite a lot around that menopausal group peri to postmenopause within my classes as well um, and just making sure that my Pilates classes really deliver the best for that population group so we're getting the most out of that class for the person who's come and that's what I'm really passionate about. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Well, look, we've got two very, very educated people with us, which is really the whole point of what we're trying to achieve here. And so, Pippa, as you said, we, we did a um, Pilates for Menopause podcast sort of leading up to the, the course being launched. Um, and so, guys, just a, a background here. So, so Pippa um, has written and runs the Pilates for Menopause course for us, and Emily has written and runs the Pilates for Endometriosis course for us, and both are part of our women's health team that have been um, integral in growing the anti-postnatal program and now combining all of that into the women's health certification that we now offer, which um, is is fantastic. I'm delighted that we can broaden the ability, I guess, availability of education on such important topics, which is the, um, the main goal here as well. And that really led to why we're back here talking about this. For those of you listening, um, there was a documentary that came out on Channel 4 a month or so ago, I think. Um, I'm not sure exactly when. That's when we became aware of it anyway. And it was brought to my attention by one of the team that worked for us in head office. And they came and said, Glenn, have you seen the menopause documentary from Davina McCall? And I said, I have not. I'm sorry. It, uh, it didn't come up on my usual, you know, things you might like to watch feed, I have to be honest. Um, and so um, I then sat down and, and watched it. And to be honest, it was quite eye-opening for me. And part of why I wanted to get the two of you together and talk about it is to say, okay, well, there's a lot of information in that documentary. And for those of you that haven't watched it, it is still available. Try and get on there um, to Channel 4 and, and watch the documentary. The documentary is called Sex, Myths and Menopause. And it's Davina sort of talking about um, her initial experience with coming to terms with what was happening with her. And I guess I wanted to, to go through some of the things that are spoken about in this documentary with you guys, to, just to find out, okay, is this the reality that you guys experience across the board? Is this just trying to sensationalise things from a journalistic point of view? Or is this really what's happening? Because some of the things that are said there in terms of the lack of awareness and education not just in the community, but also in the medicalized community, um, I found really quite surprising and somewhat shocking. So I guess at the start of this documentary, 
Davina talks about herself being 44 years old and sat in a studio, I think she says, or a makeup chair or something and, and getting uh, hot flushes. She was unable to sleep. And she, that's right, she says she had the worst night's sleep of her life and then was in this makeup chair and was feeling really hot and couldn't understand it. She was only 44 years old. And then it goes through a sort of series of, of different celebrities and well-known people talking about what's happening. And I think it's Michelle Heaton, I think, uh, talks about it happening for her at around 34 years of age, 34, 35 years of age. So I guess the first question I wanted to say is, well, let's, let's talk about onset of menopause or premenopause. Um, Pippa, maybe if I come to you first. I mean, what are we talking about age-wise here? Is, is this abnormal for it to start at such a young age? It's not abnormal to start at, at 44 is probably sort of prime time for perimenopause. Average age of menopause in the UK is 51 and symptoms of menopause can start anywhere from up to 10 years before that. So, you know, from the age of 40 onwards is quite a normal time to experience these symptoms. But then there are a group of people that will have um, an earlier menopause as well. So you can either have an early men- menopause or you can experience something called premature ovarian insufficiency, which is POI, um, which can happen even younger. And, and in the documentary, they, they did have a lady who experienced menopause at the age of 14, I think it was, you know, wow. so really young. <clears throat> so yes, it's, it's normal if you like to have perimenopausal symptoms from anywhere up to that 10 years, so 44 is is within that age category. And I think that's where things are changing, you know, that people would often associate menopause with 50s onwards and it's just this one moment in your life and it just happens over, you know, a couple of months and then that's it, it's finished. Whereas, you know, now our understanding is much more and and people are much more open and talking about their symptoms more and that's what's really important. Um, But it's highlighting those symptoms increasing the knowledge within the public public view and in the medical world as well some of the symptoms they're experiencing could be related to perimenopause and that's worth investigating further and that's worth speaking to somebody about because then you can make a real positive change in people's lives right emily similar to you age-wise are you seeing the similar sort of uh cohort i guess yeah absolutely and i think you know people touched on something important there is that you know, the, if you just Google and look for the rough data on when menopause is going to get happened, you're probably going to be given the number 51, age okay. 51. Um, and the problem potentially with having or, and you know, we need data, we need that information. But when there's a when there's a number like that and we get told that you can be have menopause, uh, like perimenopausal symptoms for about 10 years, is that that's seen as an outlier, that's seen as an extreme. Um, and I think this is where as clinicians, GPs, physios, all of us have a responsibility to kind of go, okay, well, just because somebody is presenting earlier than we expected to, or at the earliest we would expect them to, that doesn't discount it. It doesn't mean it's not menopause. It might not be. There might There's, there's lots, and this is, again, I'm sure something we'll get onto, there's lots of other things that particularly if we look at this age category for, for women um, or for people who are going through the menopause, which say, um, you know, who, they've just got so much. It's like this big junction in their life, um, especially with the age that people are choosing to have babies to help or ended up having babies is getting later. So where do you kind of then pick out all of that 
sleep deprivation, keeping up with a school run, trying to juggle your career, just playing treadmill of life versus menopause. And that's where I think it's the dangerous bit of the, it could just be seen as an outlier. You've got a lot of kind of transitions going sort of out of kind of postnatal into menopause for a lot of ladies. Um, And I think that just gets discounted or missed or just gone, that can't be. It's been like, I'm sure lots of people listen to this. If you've ever had a baby, you might remember on your first delivery, some of you probably went into hospital and like, this is your first baby. It's going to take ages for this delivery to happen. Off you go. Um, And, you know, time and time again, you hear about people who were actually like eight centimetres dilated and delivered in the car on the way home. They're they're outliers, but it does happen. Mm, Okay. All right. So let me... Let me touch on a few things that you've spoken about there. Let's, I guess, start with symptoms. Because, again, in the documentary, they have this big billboard with sort of this list of symptoms and they're sort of driving it around the country, I guess. And um, it is interesting on that. So, Emily, you've, you've brought up that concept. Could you talk through what the sort of main symptoms are? And you also touched on, and, and again, this is where I'm trying to educate myself because when I speak about or I talk to you guys, I feel very unprepared, to be honest. But you touched on also, so if we can first, Emily, talk about what the sort of common symptoms are, um, but you also touched on that difference between premenopausal symptoms or perimenopause and menopause itself, and maybe talk through the difference within that for us a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, so, and again, I think this is where it's important to, I mean, and if you've watched the documentary, you'll know um, from, from it just how many symptoms there can be in the menopause and that makes it really hard for clinicians Mm. when it's and especially when they can sometimes be seem quite vague or kind of generalistic sort of symptoms again I think that muddies the water so I think let's start with the really obvious one that everybody thinks of and you're most likely to probably find some joke about it on a card in a gift shop about hot flushes um, or hot flashes, if you're listening um, in in the US or abroad, that you know this this is seen as like the sign that you must be in the menopause. But actually, and I'm sure Pippa will be um, a lot faster off off the mark with the stats on this one. But actually, the number of women who actually experience hot hot flushes and how they present it can, again, be really, really subtle or it doesn't happen for very long or it's only in certain sort of combinations with sort of the foods they've eaten or the stress that they're under. And and, and I think it's the myriad of um, the main ones would be the hot flushes is the obvious one that everybody thinks about, um, the brain fog, fatigue and forgetfulness, so the sort of the cognitive side um, of, of menopause symptoms. And then we get the more sort of physical. Now we have the global musculoskeletal um, symptoms. I'll see people coming in and they're, they're coming in to see me musculoskeletal because they've got knee pain or hip pain. or And then you, you start talking, actually, there's just lots and lots of different joint pain going on. Um, and then we're and kind of repeated and um, sort of they're kind of more prone to soft tissue injuries as well. But then there's the kind of more sort of like private symptoms that people might not want to share with you. The discomfort they're having wearing certain underwear, just finding that, you know, certain like where the seam is on their underwear can suddenly start feeling uncomfortable. And that's usually down to conditions that have changed because of the hormonal change has actually changed the vaginal sort of and the labia themselves. So becoming drier, maybe more sensitized, even kind of um, from a neural sensitivity as well. So we can have like a hypersensitivity um, and irritation as well. We see and in that 
particularly that can again I'm sure people um, have more to say on this it can kind of just sit kind of subtly especially in that perimenopause where the symptoms I find tend to kind of flare a bit with the cycle and then dull down and flare with the cycle and dull down and then add into that if somebody is then offered um, kind of a, a hormonal contraceptive to try and manage their irregular periods the heavier periods they might be experiencing um, which could be another sign that they are in perimenopause. And I know that it is a really popular choice of going for something like the Mirena coil, which is a hormone-based um, coil that's inserted into the cervix and can last up to five years. It's a really popular hormonal management for people in perimenopause to sort of address some of the symptoms around the heavy periods. Um, but yeah, so you get the very kind of vague symptoms of fatigue, brain fog, forgetfulness. You get like the musculoskeletal symptoms of sort of aches, um, uh, reducing muscle tone, soft tissue injuries. But then we get the more sort of so-called things like changes in their periods, changes in um, the skin, the tissue, not just dry skin on the body, but actually the vaginal tissue as well. Okay. All right. Uh, Pippa, Chris, do you have anything you want to add that? Yeah, no, I think um, you summed it up really well, though. And, you know, there is there's the vasomotor symptoms, which is what people are really aware of. You know, the, the night sweats as well is one of the big things that people um, experience. And then the insomnia then that comes with that. So once they've had a sweat, they wake up and then they can't get back to sleep because their minds become active. And then that knock-on effect, the sleep deprivation that Emily mentioned, you know, when you have a, a new baby... It goes back right to that point again in life where, you know, you're sleep deprived, you can't function properly. Um, and then as well, you experience the mood changes. And for a lot of my people, it's the anxiety um, that is a big thing um, that people get. They just have this overwhelming anxiety that um, really is quite debilitating in their work life, in their personal life. Um, and then with that maybe depression as well and then they go to see their healthcare professional and then the healthcare professional might prescribe antidepressants because they maybe don't necessarily associate the signs with perimenopause because if you go with just one thing then maybe that just one thing is addressed but if you look deeper at all of the other symptoms combined you could think right well this is maybe a sign of perimenopause and could then this be actually a hormone deficiency that's causing these changes and can that be looked at in a different way um, and I do think that is changing within the healthcare world you know that there is more education now with healthcare professionals but it's still very very underrepresented um, to where it should be um, but yeah so you know they're some of the big signs and then again like Emily said the, the physical signs is things like hair loss um tingling in the skin changes in the gums you know there's all these subtle things that then you can think oh well actually they all link up and um, but also not missing that bigger picture that uh, normally when these symptoms start to occur around the age of 40 there can be other changes as well um, and you know perimenopause is diagnosed through symptoms it's not diagnosed through blood tests um, and often people think well I can just have a blood test and that will tell me if I'm deficient in these hormones and that's not the case in perimenopause because we know there's this fluctuation and that fits exactly with what Emily just said you know you find these symptoms fluctuate throughout their cycle when estrogen and progesterone testosterone 
is at different levels. Um, but a blood test then won't show, maybe it'll show one day, but it might not show the next. So it could be, it's not going to give you that definite diagnosis. However, I do often say to people that it's worth seeing their GP and having a full blood screen um, in your early 40s just to check for everything, check thyroid, liver function, all of those things, just to make sure everything else is okay. And then if you've got these symptoms, you can put it down then maybe to, to more of that perimenopause and seek the appropriate help, whether that is through medication or through other means as well. Okay, so I want to ask Ben, given all of that, and you've spoken about those symptoms, and, and Emily, you touched on it very early when we started speaking about the fact that so how do you differentiate out? Is it like what Pippa's saying here in that it's the collective symptoms that are then put against the medical intervention of saying, okay, all the bloods are fine, therefore maybe we're looking at this because, you know, anyone with a, a busy house and a family and whatever, you know, sleep deprivation, uh, brain fog. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I've got quite a few of those symptoms you're talking about. <laughs> you, say, you might be more of an expert on this than I <laughs> um, So how, how do you, Emily, how, how do we get to that concept of, okay, this is, you know, we, we're going to look at this as, perimenopause, penopause, etc. How do we go through that process? So I guess there's there's two things that I approach with and I, I'm totally aware that I'm really biased by living in Sheffield um, for this. One is a fantastic uh, menopause GP who I know in Sheffield who also works privately, who is on Instagram, if somebody wants to check them out, is the doc- Dr. Menopause. Um, Lindsay, she has been so helpful to work alongside and kind of um, kind of kind of get more information from um, generally, but also kind of be able to troubleshoot through things with her as well. Um, and she worked, um, and she's just moved, um, but she worked with Dr. Newsom, uh, Louise Newsom. And Louise Newsom um, was featured, I think, part of the documentary. She was kind of on their own little places. And there's a couple of things that um, she's done, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when it comes to health professionals, but one of them was on a, a platform for training for health professionals. She made it accessible that every single... Um, and it's not just GP practices, it's advertised, it's only GP practices, but any, pretty much any clinic can go on there and elect somebody to get a free training, CPD training on the menopause. Um, so I think it's just really important, before I forget, that we get that in there. So if you're a health professional and you are working in a clinic or you know, if you're a GP listening to this, you know, that, that information is available there for you to get the support that you deserve because um, it's a tough job being a GP, crikey, 10 minutes mm. to work out all those symptoms. Yeah. I can do it. So, so, so I, what's, the, what's that the, platform? You, you mentioned that platform. What What is that? Uh, it's something fish. Sorry. My oh, that's okay. But if okay. they basically they go through Louise Newsom's um, clinic's website. There's a link on there. Okay. Um, I'll come back to me. It's like five fish or something like that. But if you follow that, there's a link there. Um, so the the other thing that um, Lindsay has kind of taught me about, and which is really useful, is something called the Balance app, um, which is like an app for tracking and supporting you through your menopause. So it's a bit like when if you had a baby, maybe you use like a, a week by week tracker. Um, and this I use in conjunction with two things. So yes, I do recommend the Balance app because on there you can track symptoms um, and get you know good, up to date, reliable information and links and resources. The other thing I do is send people in the direction of um, cycle mapping, and I do that through. Um, I encourage people to go to the Genus app, 
which is Jessica Ennis, who's obviously Jessica Ennis Hill is a kind of a local Olympian here around where we live. So um, those are like the two local ones that I support. Um, but I love both of them because I feel for some ladies where particularly um, if we're not sure of, you know, they feel like whether or not the balance app works for them or not, both of them basically get to the point. The, the cycle mapping helps you, one, just get connected with your body again. Like, what, it, what does actually happen when you are ovulating? Like, what actually happens when you are in your premenstrual? How long does your period last? How, what's the flow like? And the, the thing with both of these things is it has to be done over a prolonged period of time. And this is the big warning I give my clients and, I, I, you know, and I, anybody who's listening to this going, I think I need to start tracking these symptoms is you've got to give yourself at least three months with this. You know, a week or two's data is it's nice, but it's not really going to give you an evolving picture. It's not going to give you the depth of what's happening with your body. The other reason, and this is where all my clients and patients find out why I'm really doing it, um, is <laughs> I want you to do it for a minimum of three months. It's because you are going to learn so much about your body. You're going to engage with your body. You're going to actually slow your life down enough to pause and think about, well, when is my ovulation? And especially if you are on a hormonal contraceptive like the Myrena coil, where potentially you'll have no symptoms at all, it can then be very hard to know. And, and, and just say that, you know, the, the Myrena coil doesn't stop people going through the menopause. Um, I, I didn't want, I want to make that clear from earlier. Um, it is a contraceptive, but obviously if you're not having periods, you might not be having the irregular, very heavy periods um, that you, you might, be, or might be experiencing if you didn't have a coil. So yes, mapping, map your symptoms, map your cycles, get connected with your body. Um, those, are the, those are the routes that I, I use. Okay. Interesting, interesting, interesting you've made the connection with the various apps that are out there. I, I, I sense that would be quite helpful for people to be exploring for sure. Um, Pippa, I see you nodding your head there as Emily was talking. Yeah, the balance app is fantastic. It's, and also it's a good tool, say, that you've, if you've been, ag agree with um, Emily as well, that you need to look at those symptoms over a prolonged period of time because again, sometimes you just have this snapshot of, of how you feel on that day. And, and that isn't, you know, you might find there is more of this pattern to your symptoms and you can tap into that a little bit more. Um, and often people just come into me and the, the thing that they say mostly is they just feel lost or they just don't feel, they're just not themselves. They've lost who they are, but they can't really pinpoint why. Um, so often when they look at those symptoms in more detail, they can think, oh, well, actually, yeah, that's how I feel, and that's why I feel like this, or this links with that, and then they can start to sort of d dive into that a little bit more to understand why they don't feel like themselves, because that's the one thing I'm saying, I just don't feel like me, but they don't know why they don't mm -hmm. feel like them, so to, to spend that time is fantastic. But also the balance app is really good, so if you do then think, right, yeah, this is, maybe it is a hormone deficiency, maybe I am experiencing that, I want some help, I want to speak to my GP, you can take that information from the balance app to your GP and say, look, I've been doing this, I've got this information, I think that I might be experiencing this, and actually that's helping the GP, because like, you know, yeah, they are busy, they've got a lot on their plate, they've got to be a general practitioner of everything, mm -hmm. so if you can go with that specialist information and say, look, I think this is what's happening, I might benefit from this, then that's going to facilitate and help the GP to get the best course of treatment, and yep. um, so that's where I find the balance app to be 
really useful um, as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, really, really. And also, like Emily said, there's this, the training, um, so the Louise Newsom's got the training, but also the British Menopause Society. Um, if you go onto their website, then there's the International Menopause Society, so IMS. And um, there is some free online training that you can do um, through them as well. So you register and um, it's just, I think it's six modules that you do in their six PowerPoint presentations that you watch. And you can do that as a healthcare professional. So often, you know, physios or osteos, chiros, anyone just wanting to have that bit more knowledge around the menopause, then that's a useful um, thing that you can do. It's online. You can pick and choose and start when you want. So that's useful as well. Okay, excellent. Good. Well, I think there's some, some really good both advice and then connections and links that people listening to this can, can access. So I thank you both very much for that. I want to go back from a symptoms point of view. And this might be uh, a difficult question to answer, so maybe just talking around it a little bit or experiences or what have you, but it shocked me a little bit, I've got to be honest, watching the documentary with a lot of the, the women when they're talking about symptoms, and um, you guys touched on it about this, the, the more commonly known symptoms. But they, they spoke quite a bit about the uh, anxiety and also fat shaming and that, that concept uh, and I was like, okay, is this something I've never really thought of? Thankfully, never come across. I mean, is this, like, how do we talk about those things that have been reported into the documentary? The anxiety, the depression, fat shaming, this element of it. How do you guys deal with that or advise on that? Or I don't know, you, either of you can come in on that. I think um, with the anxiety, I think it's first of all understanding you know, is that anxiety definitely related to this menopausal change? Is that what is the underlying thing? Is there other things going on in that person's life that could have affected them as well? Often the anxiety can be related around work, um, you know, and, and feeling, you know, that they can't do their job in the best way. And then that anxiety builds up when they're in work and then that then translates into the home life and then that starts to affect their relationships and then so on and it has this sort of snowball effect and the anxiety sometimes comes from the fact that they feel they can't talk to anybody in work or they've got no support you know that there are um, organizations that have put an emphasis on menopause um, and helping women in the workplace but there are still organizations that maybe aren't aware of it um, and it might be that the person's line manager is a male and they don't feel comfortable talking to a male about it or it might be that they're a younger person think or they just think that oh I'm I'm past it and I'm you know I'm not fit for my job and then that feeds into it you know definitely looking at workplace support with the anxiety is, is really important an education for the family as well, you know, talking. That's why menopause is to everybody. It's not just for women who are perimenopausal or postmenopausal. It's important for partners to understand how people are feeling and, and why they might be feeling like that and how to best support them through it as well. And I think it was touched on in that documentary as well. Do you know that um, there was a lady talking about... Um, 
symptoms that she was experiencing, sort of um, vaginal symptoms. And she was saying she started to talk to people and they said, one of the people said, I'd rather gouge my eyes out um, with a hot spoon or something than talk to my friends about this. And that's the other thing, isn't it? People sort of, they, we have this facade of, oh, I'm fine, life's okay, I can cope, I can cope. And then we're like those sort of it, swans gliding underneath. We're just all sort of scrabbling and we're, we're struggling to keep up. But when you start talking about it, you realise everyone's in the same position. And, and I think it's that's where this documentary has been so good because it's got people talking. It's got people talking about it. And I think by talking about it and acknowledging it, that's one of the best ways we can start to address this and then get appropriate help, whether that's a medicated view or it's more looking at exercise, mindfulness, other strategies, CBT therapies that people can use to manage those symptoms. I think that's one of the big things. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that, Emily, but... Yeah, no, I do. I do, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a biased view. Um, I, for years and years in clinic, um, I just would see, and not just around the menopause, but I think because so much of what we see in pelvic health um, is potentially the parts of life that people have not shared with anybody. They've only just about admitted it to themselves enough to get them to an appointment. Um, so we, we kind of, we do see that side where this is stuff that they, they're even struggling to understand themselves, let alone articulate and explain and get someone else to kind of come on board with them. Um, so yeah, I trained as a life coach um, a couple of years ago just because I was finding that, you know, no matter how much wonderful evidence-based, you know, plan I could put together for people, there just was this question of like, why, why don't we do the stuff that's good for us? Mm. Like, why do we not drink enough water and do the exercise when we should do and stick to the training plan or go to bed early enough because we're going to get enough sleep and that's for all of us and that's a question that is always always kind of stuck with me through all my clinical career um, and I think that's where you know particularly for the distress I see associated um, with menopause but also pain conditions as well is the the like you say the, the kind of loss of where their life was at or where their life was going or life has just sort of taken over them so it's really helping them to kind of just pause and clinic spaces are great for that because there's no to-do lists in there and mm -hmm. they've come purely about themselves it's not I've come to sort out my family member or my work it's just about themselves so I think creating a space and I, I do quite often encourage people when I'm you know training people um, whether it's the API or elsewhere just um, like please 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 clinicians can you take your priority list down like I know that we have a to-do list of I want to get this done and this done and this done and I need to in order to do a good assessment I need to tick all my boxes sometimes the best thing you can do for these women is sorry to be a bit more direct but shut up and let them talk mm-hmm and learning to listen, coaching has kind of changed my perspective on listening. And, you know, when you actually stop and listen to the language that these women are using, you then get the real flavor of what is going on for them and how deep this is running. And that's when you're going to make, be able to make those decisions. You know, is this an actual safeguarding issue? Does this lady need support? Is there other stuff going on at home where, you know, she, they're, they're, where things are not appropriate? You know, is this an imbalanced relationship going on at home or is there actually, you know, it's the anxiety, distress that's going on for her? Also knowing when you're out of your scope of practice, you know, yes, I'm a life coach, but 
I'm not a GP. I'm not a, you know, psychologist. You know, I'm that's that's not that's way out of my scope of practice. And knowing when they need that additional support, but ultimately, really understanding what do they want, and the likelihood is they probably don't know what they want either. Mm. They probably feel so swamped with the symptoms and you know where they're at with life, whether that's work or family or parents or anything. Um, but just giving them the space, the time to actually process that, that can be the most valuable hour you spend with somebody in their whole kind of <laughs> medical experience through their whole life. So they can actually hear their own symptoms. They can actually hear their own story and actually start to work out what is the next step? Like, who do I need to speak to? Do I need a consultant involved or do I just need to create some space with my partner? Like, and that, that's for me has been a, a really big game changer of just, yeah, holding space with people, giving them the time to actually articulate their whole story and then teasing out with them, letting them work out what it is that's really upsetting them about these symptoms because it might not just it might not just be the fact that they get sweaty or it's embarrassing. There might be something bigger at play about that or what that tells them about themselves and where they're at in life and the, the stories they've picked up over the years of what it means to be in the menopause. Lots of um, you know, if you go reading lots of extra books that involve this, you'll hear all sorts of stories about women basically just being shut away after their menopause and they were put in a room pretty much because they were deemed unacceptable for society so um i think that's again you know there's it's not like that for now but there are still i think a a trickle of inheritance of that that feeling amongst women okay interesting well i i certainly hope it's not at the shut people away in a room now (laughs) let's 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 pray that's not the case um so one of one of the things and and the more that we talk and the more I hear you guys talk, the more I think that we could probably go on for about three hours here. But I am conscious of, of time and, and your time as well. Uh, I know you've both got busy diaries. So I wanted to ask, um, or something I wanted to ask anyway, and I'm pleased that sort of you almost touched on it there a little bit, Pippa. But it's something I was watching the documentary and Pippa, we spoke about menopause on the podcast previously um, and uh, Emily, uh, reading the endometriosis stuff as you were preparing the course and the information. What I wanted to ask is, as a partner, what is it that we can do to to help? Because sometimes, you know, how do you have those conversations if you think it's appropriate or not? Or you know, not just from a, I guess, a, you know, obviously in, in my role as a, a husband, but let's just say a partner, a supporter, whoever that might be to somebody that, maybe thinking they're going through menopause, maybe going through menopause, maybe, and we're going to come and, uh, and move on to endometriosis in a, in a moment, Emily, but what is the best thing somebody can do to support somebody if they are going through this in terms of the anxiety, the depression, the changes? What? How do you go about supporting somebody? I, I think, um, li- like Emily just said there, you know, listening is one of the biggest things and not sort of non-judgmentally as well and you know often um, people will compare and they'll be like oh well such and such went through menopause and they were absolutely fine they didn't have any problems so you know why have you got these symptoms or anything you know like that and really well such a person may have been fine but they haven't spoken about it because they didn't want to speak about it they didn't feel comfortable to or they've given this 
um, sort of facade that maybe there was it was okay and there was something deeper. Um, so I think listening is important. Um, and sometimes I think it's it's hard, you know, that for you maybe it depends on the type of relationship. Everyone's relationships are different. Some of my clients will be really open with their partners and other ones it's this if they put on this facade for not a facade, but you know, they have they, they want to maintain this sort of appearance of being somebody that they are and, and they don't talk about those sorts of things. So I think you've got to delve into that first. What type of relationship do they have? before then you can sort of say well you know how can you be best supportive and it might be just directing somebody to look at some information online if you don't feel comfortable talking about it yourself and just saying look do you realize that these could be the symptoms that are associated with perimenopause and then that might be more of a, a distant way to start by looking into those symptoms and then starting to develop um, conversation around that you know there's there's obviously all of the um more psychological symptoms the mood changes and the um you know depression anxiety but then also there's the more intimate side to that as well isn't there you know there's the um genitourinary syndrome of menopause is the sort of um classification for it if you're looking for the big term but you know changes in sex drive changes in how sex feels and is it uncomfortable a lot of the times women just will continue to have intercourse even though it's uncomfortable they don't feel that they can speak to anybody about it and so you know and again that comes down to the type of relationship or how open people are in their relationships and so it's a difficult one to say but I think listening and also educating whether that's through reading things or speaking to other people um, would be the best starting point and from that then looking into it together I don't know if you've got anything to add to that Emily but it's, it's a complicated question <laughs> yeah definitely and I, and I think you know what you, you've touched on there is 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 really helpful because you know you know, Glenn, you're saying this from a perspective of what sounds like, um, and I'm making all these assumptions about your marriage right now. <laughs> it sounds like you want to be supportive and you want to talk about it and you want to like hear about it. But and you know, Pippa raises a really good point there. You know, there's probably lots of relationships out there that don't talk about this stuff. So going and getting your own education around it. So even if nothing else, you know what could be going on. If you don't feel comfortable talking about that um, about it in that point, that's brilliant advice. Um, from a like a coaching point of view, I would what I see in clinic a lot is about the impact this has on relationships and whether it's menopause, whether it's incontinence, whether it's a pain condition. I I really, really, really advocate for people doing everything they can to protect their relationships because isn't that like isn't that the point of what we're doing here? Isn't that yeah. the isn't that the reason? You know, yes, we, we kind of we go busy on our day job and you know we get the food shop in, but it's for those people who we want to be with. Um so from that the, the and again this is totally you weren't expecting this on this podcast. Um I would encourage people to sit down and look at something called the five love languages. Um and you can sit down together or separately. There's um loads of if you just literally put in five love languages, um there's a little quiz you can take, there's books on it for five languages for your kids and for parents and all sorts of things. But the, the simple premise is that there's five different ways that you 
um, can express and feel love. And say your partner is two of them and you're the two different ones, when you are under stress, when you are, um, you know, in pain or experiencing these symptoms, you will express your love languages to your partner and to everyone around them. So if your love languages is, you know, acts of service and quality time, you'll be going around and doing that for everybody. And what if your partner's love language is um, tactile touch and you're missing that completely? They won't feel that. So if you want to be proactive, sit down, look at those, um, chat about it and just acknowledge, you know, when you're in kind of stress or overwhelm, then absolutely I would try and remember how to act. And then like you said, ask them like, what can I do which is going to make this easier for you? But you're going to have to go again and again and again on this. You are not going to fix it. And like, I did that for you. I, I did the laundry this week. I've hung it up for you because your back is hurting from, you know, from your symptoms. You need to go again and again and again because potentially with, I know we're going to talk about endo and um, pain conditions, but with the menopause, it's not a broken ankle. You know, we're not going to, you know, fracture and heal and get out of yeah. our boot and you know back to walking in X number of weeks. It, it, this is long term, so keep going. Like just because you're having to keep doing this again and again and again does not mean everything's going wrong. It's just called a relationship. And number two, get to understand um, what each of you need because yes, the, the the woman or the the person going through these symptoms is really important. But it's also really important for the person who's supporting them that they get their the kind of love boxes ticked, so to speak. Yeah, interesting. Gosh, a lot of information that, and again, you touched on it a little bit, Emily. There's a scope of practice element here about are you competent to be having some of these discussions that you guys are talking about? So I think, um, you know, it will be, and for anyone listening uh, to this, please, you know, get in, in touch with us and it would be great for us to, I guess, develop a, a bit of a network of people that feel confident and competent to handle some of these discussions because, uh, you know, we, we, this is a Pilates 101 podcast and although our, our membership base is very much physio and fitness, um, you know, these, these discussions, they're not going to be easy discussions. And, you know, Emily, hearing you talk, obviously, you know, your your background from a life coaching point of view is, is for me anyway, coming out very clear. And that's a, a skill, that's a learned skill. So I guess when people are listening to this, it, it's an element that I say, you know, you, not everyone will be comfortable giving some of the advice that you guys are putting across here. So I think it is important to, to look at that network and develop that locally with, within yourselves. And um, for anyone listening, if there's anything we can do to try and develop that network, if there's people out there like Emily and Pippa, and you want to put yourselves forward that we can create um, some form of a, a register or a collection that people can then get in touch with, um, I think would be um, you know, a, a valuable resource as well. Um, but I do want to um, move the discussion slightly from the menopause point of view, as, as we've said, um, Pippa and I did a podcast on menopause that you guys can go back and look at that we'll talk more about menopause symptoms and, and Pilates and how all that links in with that. So that is, is there for you to listen to as well. Um, but you've touched on the pain side a couple of times here, Emily, and I just want to move across on that side in terms of the endometriosis side of the discussion here and the sort of 
pain associated with that. You talk a little bit about uh, postural changes linked to the pain that might be evident. You know, maybe that's something from a Pilates point of view that people might be able to to look at or address you talk sometimes about this sort of dissociation or disconnection with your inner core and if that's linked from a pain point of view like tell us a little bit more about endometriosis and the pain and and what it is how we might be able to start being more educated on this side yeah um so for those who don't know what endometriosis is, endometriosis is a condition that affects approximately one in 10 people um, assigned female at birth, or um, one, if, if this is a better term for you, for people with internal genitalia, um, which I think is something like 176 million people worldwide. Wow. It's something ridiculous to the point where the likelihood is if you work in an office space or, you know, if you work basically with more than a few women or um, a few people, the, the likelihood is you know somebody who's got endometriosis. So endometriosis is a condition where tissue um, that is similar to like the stroma and the glands, so the tissue that is within the endometrium, so it's similar to that. It's not that that tissue is outside of um, the uterus, but they, they find tissue similar to this. It, within generally the, um, the pelvic cavity, so within the kind of down in the pelvis around the abdomen, and it can spread throughout, or it can be found throughout the body, you know, as high up into the diaphragm. And I think there's even been cases reported of finding it in the brain as well. Now, this tissue isn't meant to be where it is. So it's basically treated in by the body in an inflammatory response. Now, uh, again, like we said before about, you know, dealing with menopause or pain conditions, you know, this isn't a broken ankle that has an acute inflammatory response that, you know, creates a healing process, which then rounds up and life moves on. This is repeated inflammation. So we've got inflammation. Um, we also um, get, so from those different lesions, so these different bits of tissue that are around the body, we get increased blood flow to that area, increased neural growth at that area as well. So not only have you got these bits of scar tissue and um, these, these growths within the body, but the body starts to feel it. They, and then the more this process happens again and again and again, because every cycle, as the kind of the hormonal fluctuation happens, particularly um, estrogen um, is one of the big uh, influences on these um, sites, um, you get another round of growth of this tissue and, you know, these cysts sort of evolve and eventually become sort of scar tissue, which are adhesions and obviously sites of chronic pain. So we just cycle through this pain presentation um, and that is the big thing for us whether you're a pilates instructor or a physio or anybody dealing with movement let's let's kind of yeah. let's pull us all to that so if you're dealing with movement and somebody says they've got endometriosis or any pain condition that is not acute down to an injury and infection they are most likely going to be in something called central sensitization so the peripheral nerve, sort of where the, the lesion is or where the site of the pain is, in this case, um, endometrial tissue, um, sort of endometrial-like tissue, um, becomes inflamed. Those nerves get irritated. That you become more um, aware within the body. So we're up in the brain. It will map that area more strongly. You will feel it kind of more, um, more sensitively. So if there's a kind of irritation there, the brain will pick it up quicker than it would a similar irritation elsewhere in the body that hasn't got this um, virus. Um, and then you, it affects not only, yes, they feel pain, but actually it's going to start affecting how happy they are to move, the way that they move, 
And, and particularly around endometriosis, we see a lot of these lesions around the bladder, the bowel, the outside of the uterus, the ovaries. So then you start thinking, well, actually, if we go back to our sort of, you know, lesson one on, you know, Pilates training and think about our inner core or our primary sling, depending on what terminology you like to use, think pelvic floor, diaphragm, deep abdominals, and, you know, your multiplicus, all of those four together, you know, it doesn't take much for, you know, pain in that area to start influencing those muscles, whether we become braced and held and spasm, or if they become very weak in that as well, because they're not able to use them appropriately. So people who I see in clinic for endometriosis, um, particularly, or some other pain conditions, we do a lot about changing the way the body perceives touch and movement. So, um, for example, um, really, really simple, just experiencing tilting pelvis, scapular isolations. Um, and, you know, we explore this quite a bit on the course of looking at, well, can you activate and kind of glide through these different areas of the body and, sorry, co-activate with your pelvic floor and take a deep breath and, and about just kind of easing them into a movement and retraining that response to a sensation in that area. Okay. That's like a like a whole day. Yes, I'm gathering. Yeah, I'm gathering. You just gave us eight hours of information in that five yeah. five minutes. Yeah, we um, could do more. <laughs> of course, we could. Yes. Um. So just on that, and and from a Pilates point of view, then are are you saying that in a way what we're looking at here is a pain condition that is affecting normalized movement because that normal movement is causing pain or a distortion of the recognition that the movement is painful? Probably more the latter, but I don't think you can rule out either. Right. So, um, so almost imagine it like a little spiral. So we start off, um, you know, we get a bit of pain. So we might sort of not breathe quite so deeply because it hurts to kind of expand down or we might slightly extend into our into our thoracic spine or at, kind of tilt our pelvis slightly just to kind of escape that pain a little bit so we're already out of you know or we have a reduced capacity to choose what movement we can utilize automatically you know our, our bodies our brains like efficiency they like just to kind of do what you know because you know we don't think about you know kind of standing up and walking across the room because it's a behavior it's a movement that we've learned because it would just be too costly for us to have to think about every step we took and every movement we did we wouldn't actually be able to do the rest of what we do if we had to do that so the body likes to automate it likes to kind of make movement kind of you don't have to think about it basically so um so if you think of that spiral you know we get a little bit of adaptation and that might be okay for a while and then more pain or or because of those little minor, minor adaptations of a little shift of the trunk to the left, maybe because that's where we're getting our pain and want to lift off it, maybe more tension up into the jaw and the shoulders and the TMJ, because again, we're trying to kind of brace against this discomfort. And that just spirals and spirals and spirals until we get to this point where, so for example, one, um, um, one lady that I see, um, we've been working on... Um, particularly trying to get her to be able to take a deep breath, co-activate her core, and maintain a neutral spine. Currently, she can do this if she leans against a wall. If we take her off the wall, 
without that proprioception, without that information into her body, her body cannot find her neutral because pain has kind of driven her posture and almost recalibrated that mapping within her brain. And we're now having to bring her back into that. But, you know, the, the, the point that I didn't make about endometriosis is that depending on which country you live in and what your GP is like maybe or how access there is to specialist care um, can take an average of six to ten years to get a diagnosis. So even if I gave you some lovely, I don't know, left lower back pain gland and I write, right, I'll see you in six years, you're going to come in with dysfunction. You're going to come with movement. And we can all appreciate that no matter whether you knowingly met and worked with an endometriosis client before it's this chronicity and that is i think again to go back on to sort of you know access to information access to care um the researchers um you know that they are working they are working on a biomarker so that we can do a blood test for these women and for these people um, because at the moment to get a diagnosis, you have to have a um, you have to have surgery where they actually go in, they take a biopsy, and then they can tell you you've got endometriosis. They can confirm a suspicion on ultrasound scan, um, but they can't actually give you a diagnosis. And then from there, the kind of gold standard of treatment is excision surgery, and they'll also offer you hormonal contraceptive and different types of pain relief to try and manage. Um, the kind of cyclical and the neural sort of patterns of pain. Um, so I think the, the the main thing, you know, if, if you take nothing else from this podcast in terms of thinking about endometriosis is just kind of getting the idea in your head of like, not only is this a, kind of a central sensitization, this change of ma- mapping within the body, the likelihood is when you meet somebody, if they know they've got endometriosis, this is going to be not even chronic, it's going to be beyond chronic. Um, so they will, it will be almost like a complete re-education of their movement. So, um, you know, people say to me, oh, it's a bit like Control-Out-Delete on, on your body. I'm like, it's not even like Control-Out-Delete. It's like you take your computer to the clever computer shop place and they basically strip it and rebuild it. That's what you need to do when it comes to those. But it is possible. And you can totally redo this with... Um, you know, with breath work, with mobility, bringing in um, soft tissue release, whether that's with a spiky ball, bringing mm-hmm. in props, you've just got to be able to kind of, ex- you know, have the, the knowledge, and like we say, within our scope of practice, understand the pattern, understand the behavior around the pattern, and just get in alongside women. And remember that this is going to be cyclical as well. So every period they get, we're going to potentially flare up and then hopefully settle back down again. So even the practice you give to your clients needs to be adaptive. So this is something that I brought into the course is um, we talk about seasons. Um, so we talk about our kind of our winter of our, our symptoms, our spring, our summer, our autumn. And we talk about not only in kind of a, and this is something I've totally utilized from a book called, uh, um, called Period Power by Maisie Hill. And she talked about the periods being seasons. And I think this is really represented for endometriosis clients, particularly the seasons they see, but not just within their periods, but also um, over time that they might have 
um, each each cycle gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse potentially, and they build further and further into say an autumn or winter presentation overall. Um, and I think it's just that you know again that's a really easy tool that you don't have to have a huge amount of medical training or you know you don't have to you know go and have a master's in pain physiology to understand like you know if you, if your life is in winter right now you know, and you're suffering from a pain condition, how would you move? Mm-hmm. How would you breathe? Like, mm-hmm. you know, even the food that you're going to eat, like how much are you going to, how much do you want to eat? Are you going to eat too much? Just, you know, uh, like how you're going to digest that, how well you're going to sleep. And again, back to the menopause, if we're sleep deprived and that's going to impact um, our kind of, we, we know that people who are sleep deprived or experiencing pain um, tend to have worse proprioception, so balance and control. And also so that, uh, kind of feeling and awareness, the kinesiology of the of their movement as well. So I think it's that you know start simple with them, start working with the breath, start working with exploring and their experience of finding neutral and 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 on top of that, giving them evidence or giving their body evidence they are safe to move. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, very interesting. It's it's interesting. You know, I remember the the uh, podcast we had Pippa when we were were talking about menopause as well, and it's linked to Pilates and just the concept that understanding what people are going through and being able to trying to normalise that process and understand that can be enormously uh, helpful for people as well. Which uh, you know, as you're you're talking about there, Emily, you know, with a lot of pain clients, right? It, it's it's about talking about there's going to be ups and downs, and that's okay. And let's understand what that is, and let's you know adapt at the time. It doesn't mean that anything necessarily disastrous is is happening here, but there is a cycle that that can happen, and we know that with from a pain medicine point of view as well. Um, but look, guys, I'm I think it, it's clear we could talk and talk and talk over this. Um, the you've given us some great insight into the knowledge that it takes simply to be able to stand up in front of our communities and talk the way that both of you do. Obviously, the uh, the Pilates for Menopause course, the Pilates for Endometriosis course um, is there to sort of explore it from a Pilates point of view. Um, I will try and, and, and track you guys down in future and, and move this discussion a, a little bit onto the Pilates side, but I did want to explore this today more about understanding these conditions i think what i got out of the documentary was that concept of just really try and learn more and understand and educate um i've learned from you guys today that you know that that concept of of listening and and being there and i think um for anyone else out there that's sort of on the on the partner side, I think one thing that jumped out at me, Emily, was when you said, you know, it's not something you can fix um, because, you know, as a as a, a husband and a partner and a father, often you're thinking, right, all right, I'll sort this, don't worry about it. But uh, understanding and being there um, is is a key message that I've, I've taken from today as well. So look, um, guys, while we could talk forever and ever, I think we'll try and come back in another episode and explore this a little bit more. But what I'd just like to say on behalf of our community, um, for you guys giving your time today, we thank you very, very much for your time and your expertise. Um, and I, I thank you enormously for coming up with the concepts of creating education modules around this for the Pilates community as well. You know, these are concepts that are very medicalized in nature, but actually, you know, you guys have spoken about the importance of movement and the importance, you know, Pippa, you spoke about the importance of people having space and time. Um, you know, that's maybe what a Pilates class can give people sometimes. It's just that different environment and concept of movement and, and 
self-focus for a little bit and putting away that to-do list that you said, Emily, um, and just, just being present in movement, um, which in essence brings us back to the, the basis of Pilates, right? Um, and so while everything is very complex, sometimes actually coming back to that simplicity of, of movement is good. Um, yeah. Is, is interesting to see again. But look, guys, let me say thank you to, to both of you. Before I go, um, just with our community there, Pippa, um, you touched on this in, in when we did the podcast, but anything that you want to put out there in terms of your websites or your Instagram your handles, anything you want in terms of people to, to access yourself? So you can follow me on at Physio Pippa and also at CPP Wellbeing, which is um, my physio and Pilates clinic. So yeah, you know, follow me on there. And, and if you've got any questions and you can message me on there, I'm, I'm always happy to take questions and to okay. help. And like you say, develop that network is so important to have that network of people that we can talk to and, and, and sort of provide the best um, for, for these people that we want to Good. help. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And Emily, where can people sort of find you? Or is there any anything you want to push on that side? Yeah. Um, so on Instagram and Facebook, I'm the Womankind Physio. Um, I, my clinic is um, at K Bell Physio. And just on the endometriosis, I think, you know, we gave some great options in terms of sorry uh, for menopause we gave some great options of where to go for, for information like for training um so if you want just one website to look at on terms of endometriosis go to something called nancy's nook n-o-o-k lots of information on that and um, both for professionals and for patients as well it's a really good collaborative site okay excellent well guys thank you very much thank you for giving up your time and um I, i'm sure that everyone will be interested to learn more on your various courses or platforms as well so thank you for your time and we will speak again soon hey everyone well i hope you enjoyed that fascinating insight i mean speaking to to these guys it really did make me want to learn more and more want to understand more and more but just highlighted the intricate knowledge that our women's health and pelvic health specialists have so as i touched on in the interview there I am really keen to try and create as much of a network, a database that us here at APPI can help you seek out the most informed people that can help yourselves or your clients, families, friends, whoever it may be. So all I'd like to do to finish off the podcast today is to reiterate my call through the interview to say, look, if you are a specialist in this area and you'd be happy for us to pass your details on to people that are searching for help, please get in contact with the Institute and we can look to create a little uh, network or database or reference source where we can uh, send people your way. Because it is really important to get the right information, isn't it? And in the right way from the right people that have this level of knowledge. So there you go, guys. Uh, fascinating podcast for me. I hope you enjoyed it. From myself, from Elisa, from all the team at APPI, both here in the UK and around the world, we uh, wish you a fun month ahead. Hopefully you get more insight into your Pilates journey and where you're going with it. Remember, practice yourself. Don't just be a Pilates teacher. Be a Pilates enthusiast. Get your sessions in. Take care of your own bodies and mind as well. Happy summer to those of you on this side of the world, to the other side of the world. Get through the winter. Um, you guys... 
uh, it may be cold, but it's it's never as cold as these northern hemisphere <laughs> winters. I can tell you that. So um, enjoy getting out those nice fashionable coats. That uh, is one part of winter I enjoy. Anyway, uh, have a good uh, summer on this side of the world, a good winter on the other, and I will see you next month. Bye for now.